just a time to get together and worship. Um, I also thank you that we can come to you in when we're alone and we need some encouragement and we don't even have to say a word. We can just think what's on our, on our hearts and our minds and you're there. You show up every time. Um, just bless the rest of our time together. Bless um, Pastor as he shares from your word. And um, as we meet downstairs in fellowship, um, watch over that also. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, if you're in children's church, a group, I think up to 10, and you can head out through the back and upstairs, <clears throat> and our children's church team will be back there to greet you. So I hope you're having a, a good day today, a week. It's been kind of a strange week. We had some winter weather, and uh, I don't know what today is. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, no summer weather this week. It was, yeah. So uh, it'll be a good day. Um, we're in the second installment of our series, Why? And um, this series was really birthed out of um, a variety of things, but primarily for me uh, and my family, uh, the miscarriage we had back in the fall. And um, I, you always just ask the why question when tough things like that happen. Um, it doesn't really matter what it is, um, anything difficult in life. We just start to ask Why? Um, and then we go to God, and sometimes we don't always get the answer we want. Sometimes we don't hear any answer at all. But I hope that throughout this series we can answer just some of the questions I think that are easy to answer throughout the Scripture, uh, and ones that can kind of give us a good direction or good trajectory um, as we kind of seek to understand life. Uh, and then for those questions that um, you know nobody has the answer to now, um, you can ask those when you get to heaven, okay? And we'll try to understand the ones that we can right now. Uh, and so today we'll be in Genesis 1 and 2, and so you can grab your Bibles and turn there. Uh, we were in Genesis 1 last week. We'll be just be looking at a different section of Genesis 1 uh, today and then Genesis chapter 2. And this question I want to answer today was, uh, why gender? Um, it seems like over uh, really probably the last 100 years, um, there's been a culture shift, and over the, probably the last 20 to 30, uh, it seems like the lines of gender have just gotten really, really skewed and confused. Uh, and so I hope today, I don't want <clears throat> to present what I think is the right thing. I want to present what I think, what I know what God has set up in His Word and the direction that He's given us. And so um, uh, just the phrase I want you to remember is God's design. If you don't remember anything else about gender and God and the scriptures. Just remember God's design, okay? And he's got a good one for us. So I'm going to go ahead and show you a video real quick. It's kind of like an introduction to a series that's on right now, media, but I wanted you to see it and I'll talk a little bit about it. How in the world did we get in this mess? How did we get to this place where we are having to tell our children that if you are born with the biology of a male, you are a man. And if you are born with the biology of a female, you are a woman. And that that statement alone is so controversial that it is reason for a lot of us to pause to even say that. Are you living out biblical manhood and womanhood? Or has the world crept in to what you believe it is to be a man or a woman? 
So uh, if you're not on Right Now Media, I'd be glad to give you access to that through the church. Um, There's a series that came out recently uh, by Joanna Hyatt, and it's on gender. It's called The Gender Dilemma. Maybe you've seen it before. If you haven't, um, I would highly recommend going on there. It's great for the family um, just to go through and uh, answer some of these questions. Um, And so there should be another slide up there, yeah, that just shows a little preview of it. It's like five sessions. They're pretty short, each one. Um, Take some time. Maybe do that with your small group um, in the weeks and months to follow. Um, and so this series, although it's dedicated to the why question, today is going to be looking at just why gender. We're looking at God's design because there's a lot of things out there, um, not just in regards to gender or identity, um, but there's a lot of confusion for, um, in particular, kids. I even heard something recently uh, about kids pretending to be animals. It's called furries. Uh, so if you haven't heard of that, <laughs> then uh, surprise. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of other things out there like that. And um, so I, I hope that in just this conversation, I'm not going to seek to try to answer the questions of 50 to 100 to 150 different identities or expressions that um, now people are told they can have. Uh, but just simply go, here's God's design, and this is what this means for us. And so there's, um, <clears throat> there's another line of thinking out there of people who would say, well, um, there's some percentage of people out there that when they are born, they're born with maybe a certain trait or characteristic you know, that uh, makes them think that even though they were born biologically male or female, they have this trait that just makes them question. And so if you look on Google and you look up like hermaphrodite or other things like that, uh, <clears throat> you will find that uh, Google tells you 1% to 2% of People are born in a way that would make them think or make them question. Now, I thought, no, that's not good enough for me. So I actually went on the National Library of Medicine's website, and I I looked at, you know, just people who are born who might have a slight chemical imbalance or something like that, uh, and the percentage is actually 0.018 of anybody that might be born with something like that that would go, okay, what what do I do? And so... Our culture throws a lot of things at us, right? They throw some things at us that are not true, a lot of things that are not true, uh, and then confuse us with misinformation as well. And so today what I want to do is just jump into the Word and hopefully help us understand a little bit better where we stand. And so grab your Bibles. We in Genesis chapter 1. The uh, first fill in the blank is going to be mankind as image bearers. So if you know anything about the Bible, um, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Moses wrote those, and uh, he was given this as um, direction for God's people to understand right and wrong and um, how everything started, how it originated. And so in Genesis, we see specifically that uh, what does God do? He creates everything in the world, in the universe, and then he creates man and woman. And we saw last week that when God did that, he said this was very good. He said everything else, creation, animals, birds, all the earth, the universe, that, that was good. But man and woman, that was very good. And so today I want to dive a little bit deeper into that and help us understand that, hopefully. And so we'll be in verses 26 through 28 in this first fill-in-the-blank, mankind as image bearers. And I'll read it for us. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so 
God's given us really clear direction for who we are and how we are wrapped up in his identity. He's made us image bearers from the very beginning. And so as we kind of look at some of this confusion on expression and identity and the creations of culture, I want to just push us away from that because if we understand we are image bearers, that is solely residing in male and femaleness. And so when we start to go, there's something else over here, or we can be an animal, or we can be something else, then we're saying to God, okay, yeah, we know you designed us the way, and we, we know that um, you want us to be image bearers, but we think we know a better way. And if you look throughout culture, and especially throughout the Bible, you see that every time people do that, it goes really, really bad. And, and God, he also gives us these warnings. He goes, like we talked about last week in Genesis 1, so if we operate in this way, if we say that um, we have these different expressions and identities, or that uh, even a man and a man can have a relationship together, or a female and a female can have a relationship together, in Romans 1, God tells us really clearly that there's a point where that goes really bad, and God goes, okay, you can continue to practice things the way that you want to do them but it's going to go bad for us. And so God's got this great uh, setup for us, this great identity. But I wanted to just share um, something with you that I found. I was doing research and um, because it seems like it's pervasive. It's all throughout the culture and um, universities and, uh, and schools. And so I found this um, article in particular that talked about the uh, Western Carolina University. And one of the things that when college students come in, and this stuff is real, guys, so like, and we need to be talking to our kids about it. If you haven't experienced it in elementary, in junior high, and high school, you will. But especially going off to college, universities are training their people in a particular way. So um, I found this article, Western Carolina University. They have their RAs take this class. It's called Rainbow 101. And so they don't sit them down and read the Bible and talk to them about, hey, so God made this, you know, he had this flood and he gave us this rainbow. It tells us he's never going to flood the world again. No, this class is for um, RAs who are going to help guide other college students in their college experience. Uh, And so they created this thing and there's actually, they've got ones they use for elementary school and junior high and high school and in college. uh, They have this, uh, this icon called the gender unicorn. So how nice. Um, only it's not. And so they, they have these four different ideas they talk about, gender identity, expression, uh, sex assigned at birth, and who you're physically attracted to. And all these elements they take and they go, this is how you know who you are. They don't measure it against the Bible. They say, this is what, how you know who you are. And so these RAs are told now, this is what you need to tell people. This is what you need to tell these kids coming in. They don't know who they are. They tell them, you're not sure yet. You're not, you haven't figured this out. Let's help you do this. And so they've told him to avoid some phrases, too, in this training. In one of the excerpts, the instructor says, now we want you to avoid phrases like this. Human sexuality is complicated. Let's not try to figure it out. Another phrase, gender has nothing to do with biology or anatomy. Don't tell students that. How confused have we gotten? Now that we've gotten to this place where in our culture, in our universities, in our teaching settings, uh, that these things are being taught. So I want to bring us back to this place where we just look at God's Word and go, this isn't about man, right? And this isn't about us going, here's this subjective standard that we have, or here's this idea that we have that sounds really good, but at the end of the day, it leads to death, doesn't it? And so instead we go, what's God's objective moral standard? What is the way that he created things? Well, uh, in this passage in Genesis, this word here for man, it refers to all of mankind. It's the word Adam. Uh, and then there's this word image, saslim, uh, which means likeness, likeness or resemblance. Um, so God's created a lot of things, didn't he? From the very beginning, we talked about that, everything in the universe. Then he creates man 
and woman, it says that he makes them in his likeness, in his resemblance. He doesn't talk about the rest of the creation like this. He talks about man and woman. So I love this. Salem Elohim is the image of God in the Hebrew. Uh, and, and we need to understand that this is an important place we can't depart from. We can't go, okay, uh, yes, but we can do it this way. No, we, we run away from God's image whenever we say that it can be done a different way. And, um, and some people say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that there's not two different genders. Well, when God was writing the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, through Moses, they use these two words for maleness and femaleness. One, maleness, is zakar. Um, just means everything attributed to masculinity, right? Now, so this shouldn't be confusing to us because even in, like, English, we have, like, masculine meanings and feminine meanings, and, uh, and so those things should be uh, clear to us. In English, maybe not so much, but in other languages, we see that. Uh, and so <clears throat> there's these two separate genders, right? There's not 50, there's not 100. God just says, hey, here's the way that I've laid it out. But we make it so much more complicated, don't we? In our culture, we say, Here, here's all these ideas, all these things you could be. But we go back to God, <clears throat> and he says, no, there's, there's this zakar, and there's this nikab, and it's the male and femaleness. And so some people will hear this, and they'll go, uh, well, you're taking value away from man or a woman, or you're taking their value away as a human being to choose what they like to be. No, I think as we find throughout the scriptures, God values, we see this, both man and woman equally, and as he created just with different roles. And so we believe you come in here, we're going to talk about that, that, that God made us equal to complement each other well. But where did all this start? Well, I think we have to go to the Scripture. We have to say, like, we look in places like Ephesians 5 and go, what is a godly man? Because we kind of lose sight of that, don't we, in our culture? Uh, and so what, is, what does it mean to be a godly man? Well, I think about things like uh, protecting your family, uh, being that spiritual leader. I'm not just sitting on the couch and going, you know, they'll figure it out. Well, I tell you what, when your kids go to college, they'll figure out something, and it probably won't be something good unless you've given them some biblical wisdom and instruction. So um, we're supposed to do that. And then what is man supposed to do to his wife? He's supposed to love her sacrificially. We see this in Ephesians 5 as well. To sacrificially love her like Christ loved the church. And sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Right? Now, I know guys are going, no, my wife is great. I love her all the time, easily, right? Well, sometimes that can be difficult, right? And then vice versa, right? And the ladies are going, yeah, husband, he never makes any mistakes. So that's uh, easy. Well, uh, the woman's role looks a little different too. So uh, we, you look in Proverbs 31, you see uh, service, you see character, awareness and being engaged with the community. So God's made us in a specific way equally yet with uh, different skill sets and traits that complement one another. So where, where did everything go awry? Well, uh, you know, we look back even a couple hundred years, uh, and we go, you know, things didn't seem as skewed as they are now. Well, I'd have to agree with you. I think there's a lot of things in culture that have affected that. You know, you go back to the 1960s, and um, you, you, you read about things like the sexual revolution, and it's pretty much anything goes with anybody you want, right? Um, so it starts there in the 1973, what happened? Abortion was legalized, and so all this fighting back and forth about that now. Uh, and so I don't know where you stand on some of those things, but, but this is where our culture goes. We understand what God has done. Isn't it beautiful to be able to have a child? Like we're expecting our third baby right now. And just some of the things that happen right now in our culture just kind of horrify me. And I go, what, what are we doing? Like what, what's going on that we wouldn't value human life? 
And, and what is it? It's this breakdown of the family structure, right? We go, um, 1960s, sexual revolution, and nothing can, you know, anything goes. In 1973, abortion, and well, um, you know, ladies, you can't be bound by, by a child. But, but isn't that the greatest gift that God has given to us? <laughs> Continuing of these image bearers. So um, I think about all these things, and there, there's a lot that goes into it, but we have to go back to what is God's design because we're image bearers. And that comes with some responsibility, doesn't it? Um, I saw the most recent um, Spider-Man movie. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, kind of a cool, you know, bringing all the characters together. It was fun. I won't ruin it for you. Um, but what's one of the most important lines in the Spider-Man movie series? It's when one of the characters, it was actually, I think, the, um, the Aunt May character this time. It was usually the other guy, the uncle, who says to Spider-Man, what, with great power comes great responsibility. And in the same way, we think about how God has designed us to operate, both male and female, and together in that marriage relationship in particular, he, he says, you are image bearers, you've got this great power on earth, you've got this great responsibility that I'm giving to you, so why waste it? I mean, why go, we think we have a better way to do things? Well, um, let's go back to God's word and, uh, and keep searching this out. So that was Genesis 1, now uh, turn to Genesis 2, we'll be in uh, verses 18 through 25 um, to finish out these last couple of points. Um, but we've got God as gender creator. God as gender creator. And so there's a lot of confusion around this too. I think sometimes um, you know, people come to the Bible or they come to Christianity or just maybe you're outside of Christianity, you don't have a relationship with God and you're still trying to figure it out. And you go, okay, you know, I've heard some things about gender, but what's true? Well, maybe this is all just the creation of somebody else. Maybe God just like he just set up things and then either Satan created gender or like our culture did and then, um, you know, it's just gone crazy since then. No, God designed it from the very beginning. And so in Genesis 2, starting in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused a steep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, He took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So there's something taking place here. Um, God, in all of his creation, he creates. And and by the way, he knows the plan from the beginning, right? Man gets there and and he's going, okay, right, we got all the beasts of the field, everything. Like, But there's something missing. And God says this too, it's not good that the man should be alone. So you see the same word we talked about last week for good that God kept talking about with all of his creation, uh, tob in the Hebrew. So he says, this is good. All my creation's good. This is good. This is good. This is good. He makes man and woman. He says, this is very good. Well, he says here, it's not good. What's, what's not good? That the man should be alone. So he had this perfect design from the beginning and man's there and he wants man to recognize this. And, and it's actually interesting, this word here for alone in the Hebrew, it's if you like transliterated it and you said it, it sound like this, bad. <laughs> it's not good that the man would be alone, it's, it's bad in the Hebrew. So I thought that was funny, I was reading that, it's bad to be alone. And so some of your introverts are like, no, it's good to be alone. 
<laughs> so I know what you're talking about. I'm the same way. You're like, no, I need the time alone. But in the very beginning of creation, can you imagine, like, God creates everything. He's got man there, and, and man's going, like, something's missing. And God's going, I know. I got something even better, right? And so he says, because it's not good. It's bad for you to be alone. So what does he do? Well, he, he makes this helper. And the Hebrew, it's uh, the helper fit for him, the Ezer Nekeb. And um, all this means is just this individual that is made to perfectly complement the man. So you've got man, you've got woman now, this helper uh, fit for him. Again, when we read these things, I think we think like, oh, well, she was an afterthought. Or like, um, you know, he's not as important or not as valuable. No, what the scripture makes clear for us is like we've said, equal, image bearers, not undervalued, not devalued, placed for a very specific purpose, a helper fit for him. No other animals. Adam's not looking around going like, that's a help. I think that would be a helper. No, he goes, this is bad. God says it. I, there needs to be somebody else here. And so instead of thinking of this as a creation or something that can change, we think of God as it's gender creator. He's specifically made man and woman. And so for us to go, well, but what about this? Or what about that? Or what if I feel a certain way? Now, I, I'm not going to take away at all like times of difficulty or even um, sadness or like mental instability. I think there's a lot of things that go into um, this discussion. But what I do want to say is that when there's times of struggle or when some, you know, when your kid or somebody's going like, I don't, like, I don't know, I'm confused. Um, we need to come back to what God's word says and then reassure because, again, they're going to walk into that college class. They're going to walk in somewhere and they go, what does this gender unicorn mean? What is this whatever? And there's, there's probably a hundred different ones. Um, but there's indoctrination going on. And so do we care? I mean, are we just going like, yeah, I mean, they'll figure it out. Or are we going, no, God created man and woman. He's the gender creator. Somebody else didn't come up with it. Satan didn't go, ha, I'm going to mess things up after the creation of Adam and Eve. No, he, and God says, this is good. This is what I made, Adam and Eve, man and woman. And so here's the last fill in the blank, man's response man's response. And so I want to take a little bit of time here, not a lot, but um, just remind us of what God is doing and what he's trying to show us. So um, when, when man is alone, God says, hey, this is bad, this isn't good, I need to create a helper fit for him. Uh, and then what takes place? Well, he does something, right? He takes the rib out, and you've probably done that as a kid, as a guy, you know. You're like, wait a second, how many do I have, right? Did <laughs> still there, right? So but what did God do? No, he took the rib out and he made woman. And there's this uh, response from Adam, which I think is important because maybe if she shows up on the scene and Adam's like, okay, cool, right? Good job, God. Let's keep doing our thing. It's a pretty drastic response from Adam. And I think it tells us a lot about um, what our relationship should look like and how we should affirm the two different genders um, as God's creation because we're image bearers but we should have a response to this, and it should be clear. And to the rest of the world, too. Not like, because I think we see this and we go, okay, oh no, pastor's talking about gender, right? Hot topic right now. And we leave this place, what is he going to want us to do? Like go and pick it, you know, in front of the schools. No, that's not what God wants us to do. What he does want us to do is know where we stand, know the truth, and be able to continue that with our families. And if, yeah, if somebody asks the question, or if we get into a discussion, we don't hatefully yell at people and go, you know, you're an idiot, or believe in what you believe. No, we say, hey, here's what God set up as his perfect standard. And, I, and we believe that's the best way that he wants us to honor him primarily. And so here's man's response in Genesis 2, verse 23 through 25. Then the man said, 
This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so what does Adam do when this, when, when woman shows up on the scene? What does he say? He says, this at last is what? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And so this word here, asha, in the Hebrew, which means uh, specifically for Adam, wife, female, opposite of man, perfect complementer. So like the helper, the perfect complementer. And then he says, because she was taken out of man, in the Hebrew, the word for man here is esh. So if you look throughout the Old Testament, you, you actually see a, a, a lot of different uses of words for maleness and femaleness. And there's no confusion. There's no like, we're not sure. It's always a reference to the Hebrew word adam, which is mankind, um, or to a couple of these different words like the esha or the esh. It's never like, yeah, whatever they decide, <laughs> whatever they want to pick later on. Like, I made him this way, but that could change. No, he says, you've made this woman because she was taken out of man. So here's these two different words brought together. And so most Hebrew scholars, when you look at this text, um, they'll say this is the first song that was ever sang. And when we read this, it kind of sounds like this too. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This was a celebration for man, wasn't it? When we read this, we should go like, that is awesome. Like, when you see the guy playing the guitar, you know, for his significant other, where did that all start? Well, it started all the way back at the beginning, where Adam was sitting there going like, and God, like, this is bad. He's like, I know, woman. Let me, now I want to sing a song about it. And he does. And then we come back to this marriage relationship, this perfect representation and complementation that God gives to us. And then we bear more image bearers through this. And this is always pointing us back to, yes, the Garden of Eden, but, but what it talks about in Ephesians 5, this relationship between man and woman, and that ultimately we're looking forward to what God's going to do in eternity past. In the book of Revelation, we see that there's this marriage supper of the Lamb. And when Paul's talking about marriage in Ephesians, he goes, it's this mystery. It's like this relationship that Christ has to the church. And if we would stop for a moment and go, this is, this is so important to our theology. Because if we can look at the Bible and go, yeah, man and woman, not a big deal. There could be 50 different combinations of expression. But if there's just two... And what does that mean about the rest of the Bible? What does that mean about the relationship between Christ and the church? Because if we say something else, if we distort it, doesn't that start to skew everything else? Doesn't that skew our family relationships? Doesn't that skew our relationship to God? What about our view on when we go to heaven, we're with God forever? And, and, and Paul goes, hey, uh, this is like this relationship between Christ and the church. Well, what happens if there's no man and woman? What happens if there's no Christ and the church? Where does all that fit? Well, if we don't adhere to what God's Word says, then it just goes crazy really quickly, doesn't it? And we don't even know who we are. Like that's, I, don't, I, don't know what, what the, I don't know what society, I don't know what culture, I don't know what people in the future will say about our culture, but we're at a pretty big tipping point. Like where if we don't look at God's Word and go like, this should be celebrated. Man and woman, the marriage relationship, and how God's wanting us to look back and go like, if this is the way I set it up, this is the way, I designed it. And so I, my guess is I probably don't have to convince most of you in the room of that. 
But do we really go back? Like when we hear these things in the news, in the media, we go to school, we go to work, we're not yelling at people. We're not treating people badly. But when we're asked and when we interact with people, it's okay to go. And God had this perfect standard from the very beginning. And let me tell you about this really cool interaction between man and woman. When God created woman and man goes, that is right. That is good. And then God said, this is very good. And we should go back to this place and remember why it's there. And not just go like everything else, the, the slip of culture, the slip of ideas. And we go, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just leave it alone because it'll work itself out. Well, if believers don't say something, if we don't, when we're in that conversation, go, hey, guys, you know, I know you guys practice something different, but let me tell you about what, what we do, what we practice, what the Bible says because I think you could have joy and life and, and, and maybe understand what it really means to follow God. And so in the midst of confusion, people throwing a lot of ideas out there. Uh, I've got just one more thing I wanted to reference for you. And it's an article from the Mayo Clinic, because I was like looking at medical stuff and just going like, okay, at some point, science and medicine, these ideas, they have to come up against the popular culture. And so what do they say when that happens? Well, uh, in this article, I can forward it to you if you want later. Um, It's a Mayo Clinic article. It's about letting your kids pick what expression they are, who they are. And that's okay. Don't tell them if they're, uh, you know, don't tell them they're a man or a woman, like early on, like, you know, uh, we don't want to confuse them because they really need to figure that out for themselves. Well, in this article by the Mayo Clinic, I'm just taking an excerpt from the middle of it. It says this, most children typically develop the ability to recognize and label gender groups such as girl, woman, feminine, and boy, man, masculine between the ages of 18 and 24 months old. Some of your kids talk by that point. So at that point in a person's development, because this was imprinted by God, male or femaleness, they go, that's a man, that's a woman. And the article also says, most also categorize their own gender by age three. So uh, what does this tell us? Does culture need to help us understand? Does popular ideas uh, need to help us understand what our own gender expression or identity is? No, it because there's two, and for a little kid who goes like, I am a man, I am a woman, that should tell us something, that as even like science and medicine, these guys are doing studies, like, don't tell the kids what they are, okay, because they'll figure it out, and they go, man, but between 18 and 24 months, like, they recognize male and femaleness, and by age three, they're like, I'm a man, or I'm a woman, and then what does culture do? They come in and go, you don't really know, you don't really know, you don't really know. We've got to go back to God's word, and we've got to go, look, Mankind, the, the Adam in the Hebrew, God created us as image bearers. And God created us with a specific gender, male or femaleness. And then Adam, first man, Ish, had this response to the Isha woman. He sang a song about it. And he said, this is good. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And there you have it, the marriage relationship and Adam and Eve, man and woman, how they're supposed to complement one another. And that points us in the right direction. I hope that as we leave this place, maybe we think about some of these things, maybe we have some conversations. Uh, but if you dig deep enough, you dig hard enough, beyond popular ideas and culture, and you understand what the Bible says, then we should, we're on solid ground, aren't we? 
We're on solid ground to tell our kids. I got a conversation with Alana this week about that, just gender, who she is and who I am and, and what that looks like moving forward for her. Don't be confused. The world's got a lot of ideas out there, but this is what God has given us. So don't skew it. Let's be just agents of uh, truth and change and encouragement uh, for the world that we're in and, um, and share the truth where you can, okay? Uh, and so um, I want to close us out just uh, in prayer. Um, we'll head downstairs in a few minutes for the business meeting, but um, just want to remind us about these ideas. There's there what appears to be a gender dilemma out there. Um, go grab that series off Right Now Media. Watch it with your family. Um, talk about some of these ideas and really kind of solidify if you haven't in your minds and your children's minds uh, moving forward uh, what that looks like for us as God's people. Okay? Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll move on from there. Uh, Father, we thank you for um, this time, this uh, season. Um, in a time of what seems like a lot of confusion and um, instability, uh, we just pray that you would uh, show us um, what we need to see, what we need to know. Um, God, it almost seems like even things like this just have gotten brushed under the rug as just a natural progression of change. Uh, God, I pray that we could be loving, uh, encouragers of truth out there. Um, God, we know it seems like the truth is not popular right now. Um, help us to be those... Um, that don't hate others, uh, but love them. And God, simply want to see your um, greatest glory accomplished um, on the earth while we're here. Um, Remind us uh, who we are, image bearers, um, that you created gender, uh, man and woman, uh, two separate, but complement each other perfectly. And God, that you um, gave man an opportunity to sing a song about it, to have this beautiful response um, to his helper, uh, fit for him. Uh, God, I pray we wouldn't lose sight of this, that we wouldn't allow things to be made so complicated like our culture does, but just go back to the truth. Um, You've laid it out clearly for us. Help us to be um, those who can share that um, in a way that others would receive it as well. Uh, Let us be those agents of change and of encouragement to a world um, that needs help, needs the truth. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, love you, church. Uh, We've got a business meeting afterwards, so... Uh, If you're a member in the room, uh, we'll actually have a little dinner associated with it as well. So uh, we'll give everybody a few minutes. If you can help us with some of the Christmas decorations, I think we're going to try to take those down too. Uh, And then we'll head downstairs for the business meeting. Okay, see you down there.